Alrighty, we are um, 14 up, lines up from the bottom of Yutesa Madalef 19a. We're going to analyze the Mishnah. No se hamita bechilufehim. So the, actually, I think it may be, what is it, the second colon on the page, I think. I think. Okay. No se hamita bechilufehim. We talked about the um, pal bearers. Um, and the ones that were going to replace the palbars. I guess it was just a longer walk back then, so they'd have replacements. Um, we talked about them saying Shema. Ton Rabbanon. So the rabbis taught, this is a b'raisa. We actually don't take a dead body to burial. We don't take them out to burial um, when we are close to the ending of the time of Shema, uh, the time that you're supposed to say Shema by. Um, in order to make sure that everybody be able to say Shema, we wait. But if they did start to bring out the dead body, um, we don't stop to say Shema, even though it means we will be missing Shema. So then we ask, now is this really true? But wasn't Rav Yosef taken out right near the time for saying Shema, and they didn't wait to say Shema, they just took him out? So we answer Adam Chashuv Shaini for an important person. Then we take them out even if it's near the time for Shema. Okay, next part of our Mishnah said, Hamita Hamita. Both the pallbearers who basically um, are in front of the coffin, or in front of the bed, as I explained, they used to they didn't bury people in coffins, they buried people on like the stretcher type of thing. So um so both those that are before the coffin and those who are behind it. Um, and we talked about what their responsibilities were when it came to saying Shema. Um, okay, so now we're going to talk, uh, based on this, we're going to talk about those present at the eulogies, if they say Shema or not. Tan Rabban, the Rabbi's Tatan, Abraisa, again, Ha'oskim Behesed, those that are dealing with or listening to a eulogy. And now the time of Shema comes. If the dead person is right in front of them, um, then nishmatin echad echad Then each person goes out one at a time to say Shema, and then of course returns. If they are saying eulogies, but the dead person is not in front of them, perhaps the dead person's in a different room. Then Hain Yoshvin Vikorin, then they all sit and they say the Shema together. And he sits and is quiet and does not say the Shema, and that's a reference to a relative of the dead one, of the of the dead person, um, to the mourner, him or herself. And then if the again if the if the dead person is not in the same room, then they also stop, they stand up and they say Shmona Asray, they say the prayer service. Who omed when he stands umatstik alav? So again, the mourner stands, does not say the prayer service, but rather matstik of alav es hadin vi omer. He recounts God's righteousness and says as follows: Ribon haolami, master of the world, harbei chatasti lefanacha. I have sinned a lot and before you, v'lo nefresami many echad mini elef, and you have only taken from me, you've only punished me one. One thousandth worth of the punishment I should have received. be your will, Lord our God. That you um, that you fill up our breaches. and the breaches of your entire nation of Israel with mercy. 
So that's what he says while the uh, while the rest of the people who are listening to the eulogies um, stop to pray. Amr Abaye Abaye says he doesn't like this little prayer that the mourner says. He should not say the prayer like this. Because basically what he's saying is that God still really owes him punishment. God only gave, gave him a one one thousandth of the punishment he should have received, and he has a problem with this. Abaya does not like someone saying like this. because and so too was a brisa taught of the name of Rabbi Satan. A person should not open up their mouths to Satan. Meaning, what you're basically doing here is you're opening your mouth to Satan. You're 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 giving Satan like room to maneuver in by saying that God still owes me punishment. For Amar Rav Yosef and Rav Yosef said, "My kra'a, what is the pasuk? What is the Torah's verse that would prove that you should not say these types of things?" Shenamar, because the verse says, "Kimat kistom hayinu." We were basically we were almost like. Or we almost would have been like Sodom, uh, Sodom, the the city that was destroyed, and Mayahadul Hunavi. And what did the prophet respond when um, when they say these words that we were almost like stone? So the prophet responded, "Shemu Dvar Hashem Stom. Hear the word of God, uh, chiefs of Sodom. So we see the prophet um, was able to call them. Uh, chiefs of Sodom, because they said we are basically like we were almost would have been like Sodom. So we see by you saying something, you give room for others to kind of grasp in on that, uh, even to your detriment. Okay. We are now going to analyze the next part of the Mishnah. We're four lines up from the bottom, or really five lines up, the last two words on the line. The Mishnah said, If they buried the, um, if they buried the the dead. Um, and then returned. So we said that if they can re, re, if they can get if they can say the Shema, finish the Shema by the time that they return, by the time that they get to the row where you comfort the mourners, and they should say the Shema. But if not, they shouldn't. So now we're going to talk about in. So the Mishnah would seem to said that if they have time to begin it and finish the Shema, then they should. But if they only have time to say one chapter or one verse, then they should not do so. They should not even begin it. But look at the following Baraisa. If they buried the dead and then they returned. If they're able to begin and finish, even one chapter, or one verse of the Shema, they should still do so. So um, that would seem to contradict the Mishnah. So he answers as follows. This is really what we're saying in our Mishnah. If you can start and finish, what is it? What do we mean? Finish? Finish? Afilu parak echad or afilu pasuk echad? Even one chapter, even one verse. Ad shelo yegila l'shura before reaching the row. Yaschilu. Then they should begin um, to say the Shema. Vimla, but they don't even have time to do that. Lo yaschilu. Then they should not even begin the Shema. That is the end of nineteen a. We will now turn to nineteen b. Yotet amabet, and we'll try to do uh, we'll try to do about half of this page as well. Okay, um, continuing with our discussion of the Mishnah. Ha'omdim Bashura. Um, when it comes to those that are standing in the row to offer consolation, we say that if you're in the inner row, so you're going to be directly speaking to the mourners, um, then you don't say Shema, but if you're in the outer row, then you do. 
Tanarban of the Rabbis taught Shura, Haroa, Penima, Petura. Um, if you're in a row that sees to the inside where the mourners are standing, then you don't say Shema. But if you cannot see the inside, then you're obligated to say the Shema. Rabbi Huda says, Those who came because of the mourners, meaning those who came to comfort them, Peturin, you're exempt from Shema, Machmas Atzman, Chayav, but those who came for themselves, then they are exempt from, then they are, I'm sorry, then they are obligated to say the Shema. And why would, what would that mean? You would just come from your, for yourself? Well, you were, you were, uh, you were curious. Um, it's not so uncommon, actually. Like, uh, you think about in Israel, when you have a, when you have, or, or really anywhere where you have a big funeral of someone very important, people want to be there, see what's going on, see who else is there. So if you came for that, then obviously you still have to say Shema. Okay. Um, we are now going to begin a new topic. Amr Avi Huda Marav, one, two, three, three and a half lines down on 19b on Yotesa Mabez. Amr Avi Huda Marav, who said in the name of Rav, Hamotse Kalayim Bivigdo. If you find Kalayim or Shatnez in your clothes, which is a mixture of wool and linen, which is forbidden to wear, post on a filubashuk, you need to take off those clothes even if you're in the middle of the marketplace. My time, what is the reason for that? Because the verse says, There is no wisdom, there is no knowledge, and there is no counsel before God. In other words, God says something, even though this may be embarrassing to you, we um, bow to God's knowledge and don't consider our lowly human knowledge or, or, and feelings um we don't, we don't, we don't, they, 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 they are nothing in comparison to God's knowledge. And God says you don't wear wool and linen together. You have to take it off if you find that you're wearing it, even if you're in the middle of the marketplace. So any time that there is a possibility of a desecration of God's name, we do not, um, um, we do not, uh, we're not careful to give respect to a rabbi or to a teacher. So again, the idea here is is that usually um, there are you know usually have to give respect to a teacher or to a rabbi. But if the what the rabbi is saying or teaching um, is potentially going to bring about a desecration of God's name, then of course we do not we do not worry about the. With it, about the respect to the teacher and instead prevent the Chil Hashem. Instead, we try to prevent the desecration of God's name. The same concept, um, even though right, it's just exactly the same. It's, it's a similar type of concept. The idea being that there's a desecration of God's name um, when you, when you um, transgress a prohibition. And we do not care about human dignity um, or, you know, we don't, human dignity comes second to desecrating God's name. So that's true when it comes to the will and linen together. And it's also true of um, dishonoring your rabbi because human dignity, again, comes second to desecrating God's name. Okay, so that's basically the idea here. Now we're going to ask on this. Mesve, is this really true? Because we seem to have a question, a contradiction from Abraisa. Kavruasa mesve chazru. It says that um, if they bury the dead and then they returned, and there's two possible paths to take in front of them. One of the paths is pure, 
and the other path is impure. Ba if the so now they're accompanying the mourner home basically. So if they so if the mourner takes the pure path, Bayin Imo Batahora, they take the pure path with him. Babatmeyan, if he takes the um impure path, Bayin Imo Batmeya, then they take the impure path with him. Mishum Kvodo out of respect for the mourner. So what do we see? So we see that out of respect because of human dignity towards the mourner, you are able to transgress a commandment. The commandment here would be is that the assumption is, is that it doesn't say who, who is accompanying the mourner. So it's possible that there was a Kohen, a priest who was a part of this entourage. And we still say that he can go in the impure way um, out of, even though that's prohibited for him, it's prohibited for a Kohen to come in contact with impurity from a dead body. Yet we still say he's allowed to do that out of respect for the mourner. So we see then very clearly from this Brisa that you can, you can transgress a commandment if it means, um, you can transgress a commandment or in other words, desecrate God's name, um, in the face of a dishonoring or a, in the face of honoring, um, or on the face of, trampling human dignity. So this seems to contradict what we had just said. So am I, because so now why should you be allowed to do this? Why should a good Kohen be allowed to do this? Don't we say lema? Shouldn't we say ein chachma ve'ein tfunala neged Hashem? There's no such thing as wisdom or knowledge in the face of God. So really he should not be allowed to break the Torah and and become impure um, just in order to honor, to, to, uh, to uphold the dignity of the mourner, to honor or respect the mourner. So how do we understand this? So we answer, Rabbi Abba explained that when we talk about this impure path that the Kohen is allowed to take, it's talking about a base hapras, which for who, uh, which is an area whose impurity is only impure on a rabbinic level, not on a biblical level. And what we say is, is because the impurity or the transgression is only that of a rabbinic level, then we certainly say that human dignity comes before making sure not to transgress a rabbinic injunction. So that's the idea. So we don't transgress a biblical um, law for the sake of human dignity, but we certainly can transgress a rabbinic law for the sake of human dignity. I didn't really explain what this rabbinic, uh, what this, what this area really is. It's a, called the Beis Hapras, which is a area that had, that had a grave somewhere in it, but it was plowed over. So now there may be little bone, bone fragments in all different areas of it. So we don't know for sure that you are um, impure. So it's, it's just a rabbinic decree that you are impure. Just so we know what we're talking about. Okay, so. Um, so now we're going to bring some proofs for this concept. So as Rabbi Huda said in the name of Shmuel, a person can um, basically blow on the ground of a Besapras, which is, again, this area that just has a rabbinic injunction um, of impurity, an area that had a grave that was plowed over. So you can blow on the ground and um, walk through it and be still be pure. The idea is, is that if you blow on the ground, you'll see if there are any bone fragments or not. 
you will be able to um, you'll be able to maneuver around them, and you'll come out of the base hapras still pure. So this is proof number one that a base hapras is just a rabbinic impurity and not biblical, because they've never allowed this if this was a biblical impurity, just blowing on the ground. Barashi said in the name of Rav, base hapras shenidash tahor. So Rav Barashi said in the name of Rav that a base hapras that was nidash, so that was trampled on by more than one person, by many people, is actually pure, because we assume at that point that um, if many people have walked through this, then the bone fragments would have ended up being completely crushed, no longer upbringing, no longer um, making anybody, no longer having the ability to make them pure because they were crushed. They're not, they're, the fragments became too small and they can no longer um, give over impurity. And we see that f with that leniency would only have been said if this impurity in the first place was a rabbinic. Had it been biblical, then we would not have said such an, a leniency. So we see very clearly that this concept of a base hapras, this area with a plowed over grave, its impurity is only rabbinic. And because its impurity is only rabbinic, now going back to that idea, because its uh, impurity is only rabbinic, we say that human dignity comes, um, trumps the transgression of a rabbinic um, injunction. Okay, we'll stop here for now because the next part of the Gemara gets into some, a bit more details, a bit more, uh, you know, some, some complexities about the um, impurity coming from the dead. And um, I think we'll save that for our next podcast. Um, so in this podcast, what we did was we first uh, started on the, the end, towards the end of 19a, where we started talking about uh, analyzing different parts of the Mishnah um, and reconciling the Mishnah with Bryce's that seemed to contradict it, um, um, we had a very interesting little part where we talked about the prayer service, the prayer that the mourner would say while everyone else was praying, and that introduced the concept of opening your mouth to the Satan, which is something that is considered inappropriate and not a good idea. Um, and then we went and we began this discussion of whether a biblical commandment, the fulfillment of a biblical commandment, um, trumps human dignity or not. And we seem to have come out that a, the transgression of a rabbinic commandment certainly is trumped by human dignity. So a very, very interesting discussion in Jewish law that has many different ramifications. And uh, we'll call it a day. Uh, take good care.